Good morning, church. Don't you love daylight savings? You lost an hour's sleep last night and you're still here. Way to go, First Baptist, First Baptist Wimberley. You know, our phones set themselves. That's kind of nice, isn't it? Yeah, you can set, like I did, I set the alarm last night and was worried about it, Googled it, found out my, my uh, clock set itself, so that's good. You know, Senator uh, Rubio from Florida uh, has introduced legislation into the Senate uh, that this is the last time we ever have to change our clocks in the springtime. Well, it'll be nice, won't it? If that passes the House, I think it's called the Daylight Preservation Act. You won't have to set your clocks forward ever again. It'll just stay daylight savings all through the year. That's great, isn't it? D tell me, let me start by asking you a question this morning. Do you like to sleep? You kind of do, don't you? I mean, sliding at the end of a hard day, sliding in between those cool sheets, laying your head on a soft pillow, get all cozy and comfortable and quiet. Man, I'm making you sleepy now, aren't I? Drift off to sleep. Physical slumber is good most of the time. Spiritual slumber is never good. Never good. We are preaching through, studying through the seven churches in Revelation. We've come to the church in Sardis, documented in Revelation chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. Turn there with me in your Bibles, if you will. Let's look at this together. Jesus speaking. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Be alert. Most of your translations have wake up and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard, keep it and repent. But if you're not alert, if you're not awake, I will come like a thief, and you will have no idea at what hour I will come against you. But you have a few people in Sardis who've not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the same as them, the victor will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I, uh, I went to visit my oldest son in the foothills of the Arkansas Ozarks last month. Um, at the last minute, Linda had to stay. Something came up and she had to stay, but she insisted that I go ahead and go up and visit. Our son had lost his job and he needed some moral support, so I went up there. Anyway, we, we drove into the mountains to a small town they knew about, a tourist attraction, ate lunch at a little tourist attraction cafe, great food, comfort food. Up in those hills, they haven't heard about cholesterol yet. And so, 
And so there's a mural on the wall of this cafe of little Abner. Now see, I can talk about little Abner with you all and you all will know who I'm talking about. I'll have to explain all that to the next crowd because they won't, they're too young, they won't understand. So here's, uh, here's uh, Pappy Yoakum and Mammy Yoakum and little Abner Yoakum and beautiful Daisy May. But over here in the background on this mural is this cabin. And on the porch of this cabin, there are these two hillbillies. And, you know, they're laying down. They got their hats pulled down over their head. There's Z's coming away from them, you know. They got their legs crossed and barefooted. They are sound asleep while their cabin is in shambles. Totally slumbering while their house falls down around them. The church at Sardis was asleep while their house was falling down around them. Listen to me, First Baptist Wimberley. You've got some great days ahead of you. You never want to be like the church in Sardis. You never want to enter into spiritual slumber while your house is falling down around you. So we're going to be looking at Sardis this morning as a warning, not suggesting that that's the way Wimberley is at all, but just as a warning to us. Why do we need this? Well, let's look. The problem of slumbering. In verse 1, Jesus says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And then it begins verse 2 by saying, be alert, which most of your newer versions says, wake up. Wake up. They were slumbering. Now let's examine this problem for, of spiritual slumbering for a moment to illustrate how dangerous this slumber is, Jesus uses the word dead to describe those who are spiritually slumbering. That's pretty serious. In Jesus' mind, in Jesus' evaluation, spiritual slumber equates to spiritual death. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the mindset of the flesh well, the mindset of the world is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. So one thing we can say about these Christians is that they had become worldly in their approach to living. In effect, they were asleep. They were asleep to the things of Christ, and they were awake to the things of the world. Culture was having more influence on them than Christ was having on them. They were more concerned about the evaluation of the world and the culture around them than they were the evaluation of Christ. A second thing we notice as we consider the problem of spiritual slumber is that they were doing a good job of covering up the worldliness. You know, I, I guess that's a natural thing to do if we're spiritually slumbering is to cover it up. We don't want, anybody, we don't want the Christians around us to know that. We don't, we don't want the rest of the church around us to know that we are spiritually slumbering. Jesus says, 
in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. That's what everybody around you thinks. Everybody around you thinks because of your reputation. Everybody around you thinks you're spiritually alive, but you're not. You're dead. We're all familiar with the story of the prodigal son. He was no orphan. We confuse that sometimes. He was a true son of the father. He never ceased being a son of the father. But he took all his father gave him and he went out into the world with it. No doubt he told everybody who he was. I'm sure he told everyone who his influential father was. He put up this front. He wanted them to see that side of him. Everyone must have thought everything was just great between him and his father. But what did the father think? What was the father's evaluation of this, this young man? Toward the end of the parable, we discover that while the boy was out in the world, the father considered him to be dead. In Luke chapter 15, verse 24, the father said, This son of mine was dead. The father considered him to be dead. Jesus considered a number of the Christians at Sardis to be dead. Why is that? Because they were embracing the world. Because they were embracing the culture. Because they were trying to please the world. Because they were trying to look like the world. They, they were pretending that they were alive in Christ while their actions were saying, we're alive to the world. In attendance, they were faithful. In appearance, they were pious. But they were still hollow as a dried gourd and dead as a fence post towards Jesus. Toward Jesus. They were slumbering. Spiritual slumber is a problem. Let's look next at the dangers of slumbering. The first danger of spiritual slumber is found in the last part of verse 2. If you'll look there, Jesus said, I have not found your works complete before my God. This is simply a return to the idea that even if a person has himself fooled, even if a person has the community around them fooled, even if a person has the other church folks fooled, we can't fool Jesus. Would you agree with that? We can't, we can't fool Jesus. Everybody else may be fooled. Not Jesus. A friend of mine once fell asleep on guard duty in the Marines, which is a, a crime punishable under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. I, some, of the, uh, some of the veterans are smiling up here at me. That's punishable by the Uniform Code of Military Justice. He was sitting in his foxhole, had his rifle between his legs, his head tilted forward, and he was snoozing away. And as he was snoozing, he told me, he could just sense the presence of the sergeant of the guard who had walked up behind him, was standing above him there in his foxhole. And in desperation, he thought, what am I going to do? 
So here's what he did. He had his head bowed. And out loud he said, amen. And he lifted his head. Sergeant of the Guard said, nice try, Marine. My office owes 800 hours. He didn't fool the Sergeant of the Guard. The Sergeant of the Guard wasn't fooled. Jesus isn't fooled. Jesus isn't fooled. We can't fool Jesus. Jesus knows of our faith in him has gone dormant. And if it has, he is not pleased. Look at the bottom, verse 3. If you're not alert, Jesus speaking, if you're not alert, I will come like a thief and you have no idea at what hour I will come against you. Now let's not confuse this with the second coming. Christ's return does not hinge on the church at Sardis or the church at Wimberley as far as that goes. But Jesus is saying that if they continue to be worldly Christians, if they continue to try to fool him, he will surely discipline them. If we try to fool Jesus, he will discipline us. And his discipline will come at a time when it is least expected. I need to read this so I don't make any mistakes. This is, uh, this is insightful. According to a mountain folklore, you can predict when it will stop snowing during an Appalachian winter. You might want to write this down. This is helpful. You simply take an empty can and put one dried bean in it for every foggy morning during the month of August. Then when the winter comes, every time it snows enough to track a rabbit, you take a bean out of the can. When it gets down to where there are only two beans left in the can, you can put away your snow shovel. Do you believe that? No, that's baloney. That is baloney. Neither can a worldly Christian predict when discipline is coming. But it's coming. The discipline is coming. We may get by with it for a day, a week, a month. We may get by with it for a year. But just like the winter is coming in the Appalachians, Jesus is coming. His discipline is sure. Next, let's look at the escape from slumbering. I've already pointed out that the second verse begins with the imperative, wake up. The same thought is repeated in the warning in the middle of verse 3 there. How does a Christian escape from the dilemma, the dangers of spiritual slumber? Somehow the person who is spiritually slumbering has to force themselves to wake up. How do we do that? You know, I, I, I don't know that the Bible has guidance on how to do that. It's just that we have to do, we have to force ourselves to wake up from spiritual slumber. And I'll tell you what I think about. <clears throat> I've already told you my dad was a single dad, raised three of us kids. My brother's two and a half, almost three years younger than me, 
we were a, we were a handful. I, Phil was okay. I was a handful. I was I was a handful. But when we were teenagers, we were hard to wake up. He had a difficult time waking us up in the morning. We slept in double beds. We were close together, and he'd come in the morning and say, "Boys, wake up!" And we wouldn't say anything. We'd say, "Dad, not quite yet. Let it, let us sleep a little bit longer." And it got to where him coming in and saying, "Boys, wake up!" meant nothing. So one morning he got two tumblers full of ice water out of the refrigerator and he came, he stood bet between us and he said, boys, wake up. And we didn't move. So he poured those tumblers full of ice water on our raw backs. Boy, I mean, I, we were up. More importantly, next morning he came in and he stood between us. He said, boys, boy, I'm, I was straight up. I was straight up. Somehow, we've got to wake up. If we're spiritually slumbering, somehow we have to make ourselves alert to Jesus. Jesus gives us this instruction in verse 3. <clears throat> Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. So in an attempt to help the Christians at Sardis to wake up, Jesus points them back to the beginning of their Christian life and encourages them to do two things. First of all, remember. Remember. Remember how their life in Christ began. Remember what it was like. It's kind of like, it's kind of like giving marriage counsel to a couple who's having problems and just say to them, Remember what it was like when you first got married. Remember your wedding day. You remember how much you loved each other when you first got married. So in this regard, we're saying, remember how it was when you gave your life to Christ. Remember how much you loved him. Remember. Second thing is repent. Go back to that. If you're that married couple, we're saying, go back Go back to the love you had when you first got married. Go back to that wedding day. Go back to when you were a young couple. Remember what it was like. Go back to that. Repent. Turn around. Go back. <clears throat> Same thing is true with Christ. Go back to the beauty of how that relationship began. Go back to the day you gave your life to Christ. Remember what it was like. Repent. Go back. Remember and repent. Jesus is saying, remember that day you put your faith in me. Remember how beautiful that day was. If you really want to wake up from your worldliness, go back to that first day of faith. Repent. It can be that way again is what Jesus is saying. It can be that way again if you just turn around and go back. Church at Sardis. Remember how beautiful it was when you put your faith in me. Remember how beautiful it was when you put your relationship with me ahead of everything else. Remember how sweet our worship experiences were together. Remember how sweet our joyful prayer meetings were together, Jesus speaking. Remember how the fellowship that you had together. Remember the times we had together when it first all began. Remember that, church at Sardis. Go back to that. 
Remember how you trusted me and followed me. Jesus speaking, do that again. Wake up, remember, and repent. Let's close with this, the reward for not slumbering. In verse 4, Jesus says there are a few Christians there in Sardis who've not become worldly. He describes them as having not defiled their clothes. They will surely walk with Jesus because they're worthy of it. That's going to be a very small group. What about the rest of them? What about those among them who had been spiritually slumbering? What about those among them who had become worldly? Those who defiled their clothes, who were in a spiritual slumber, what about them? Were they lost cause? No, that's the point. No. No. Not if they, not if they wake up. If they'd remember, if they'd repent, if they'd wake up, it wouldn't be a lost cause for them. Jesus says, verse 5, in the same way the victor, talking now about those who'd woke up, remembered and repented, the victor will be dressed in white clothes. And I will never raise his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Jesus says, those who wake up, remember, and repent, their name will never be erased from the book of life. Their name will be announced before the Father. I want to be in that group, don't you? When I was serving a pastor at a little church in North Texas in Collinsville, I took men to the... uh, Men's Retreat, Falls Creek, Oklahoma, great, a great event. My last year there, we had 18 men who'd signed up to go. We had three church vans, three vans, I think we'd rented them. So I stood before these 18 men that day and I explained the retreat to them and told them what we were going to do, where we were going to go, how long we were going to be gone, da 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 that sort of thing. And I had in my hand the list of all their names no particular order. I read the names of the first six men, said, okay, you guys, you're going to be in the first van. Go ahead and pack up, get in. Read the names of the next six men. All right, guys, you're in the second van. Go ahead and get in. Take your stuff over there. We had, we had a young man who worked at a dairy. He was just a, just a gopher at a dairy there in, in Collinsville. Young, he hadn't given his life to the Lord very long before. I like to horse around with him. I like to horse around, period, but I like, I like to horse around with him. So I read the names of the last men on the list, but I intentionally left his name out. I just read five names. All right, man, go ahead and get your gear in the van. And he was standing there by himself. His name was Cecil Miller. I said, Cecil, are you going? Yes, sir, I'm, I'm going. Did you call the church office? Oh, yes, sir, I called the church office last week. Did you give them your money? Yes, sir, I gave, I gave my money Sunday. Well, are you going? Yes, sir, I am. Is your name on the list? Yes, sir, I think it is. I looked down and I said, oh, yeah, there it is. Your name's on the list. Your name's on the list, Cecil. You can go ahead and get in the van. And as he walked past me, he said, Pastor, 
I sure am glad my name's on that list. If we're spiritually slumbering, if we've kind of gone to sleep to the Lord, if we've become more conscious of the world, more concerned about what the world thinks of us, if we're more awake to the culture than we are to the leadership of the Lord Jesus, we've got to wake up. We've got to remember what it used to be like. We've got to repent, turn around, go back to that. We've got to wake up because, listen, I want my name in his book of life where it can never be erased again. And what I really want is I want to be able to hear Jesus announce my name before God the Father and say, he's in. His name's on the list. My name's on the list. Your name on the list? Are you going to hear Jesus announce your name before God the Father? I know this. The church at First Baptist Church Wimberley is nothing like the church at Sardis. As a church, you are not spiritually slumbering. You are alive and you're excited and you've got a great future in front of you. You've got a great young pastor coming. He and his family are just going to light this congregation up. God's going to use them and use you all to reach this valley for Christ Jesus. As an individual, be with them. Be with them.